You're listening to Culture Clash on CL Radio, a look at the performing arts, the visual arts, and the literary arts all over Atlanta. Welcome to Culture Clash. I'm your host, Jill Melanson. You may not recognize the name Matthew Kaminsky, but if you've been to an Atlanta Braves game in the past 13 years, you know who he is. Originally from Chicago, Matthew is the official Braves organist, one of only a few live organ players left in the MLB. He's become popular and fairly well-known thanks to his clever choices of walk-up music for the opposing teams. He also plays for the Atlanta Gladiators and the UGA Bulldogs baseball team, among others. He plays in several bands as well and also teaches piano, organ and accordion in his spare time what little he has matthew kaminsky welcome to culture clash oh uh, yeah it's uh, wonderful to be uh, asked to come on the show when did you know matthew that music was your thing i know you come from a musical family but when did you know that you were going to do music well i think uh, when i was younger at first we we're kind of the family that was forced to take lessons so, yeah so my parents uh forced my sister and I to take both organ lessons. Um, I think I started maybe when I was five or even six. And I, I, I certainly enjoyed playing back then, but I don't know if I really had the love for it until right around middle school or um, even high school age is when I really started playing for myself. Mm-hmm. So there was that kind of that point where you know, I wasn't being forced. Right. I was actually practicing for myself and in high school, I actually joined the jazz. They were looking for a pianist for the jazz band. And uh, they were kind of lit a little bit of a fire underneath me. And I, I got very uh, you know, intrigued and interested in, in music and, and especially improvising. And, um, you know, jazz music is a lot of that is about improvising. Mm-hmm. So it was something that uh, I kind of gravitate towards. Your, your father, grandfather and great grandfather, all musicians. Is, is this become the family business now? Well, they weren't <laughs> professional musicians, mm. <laughs> so a lot, you know, they were they were self-taught. Uh, my dad took some lessons, accordion lessons, mm-hmm. um, when he was younger, but no, we weren't, they weren't necessarily professional musicians, but they knew how to play. Gotcha. Well, um, they they must uh, they must be incredibly proud of you actually making this a, a, a real profession. Yeah, my you know my dad, you know, he, he'll come down to the Braves games and. It's funny, he'll start talking to, like, the camera guys and saying, you know my son, Matt? (laughs) (laughs) uh, I'm like, Dad, don't, they're they're working. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, And my dad, he still, uh, he still plays the accordion, um, so we'll sometimes get together and do uh, duets as well. Oh, nice. Does he ever, does he ever come sit with you in the booth, or do you have to sort of be alone while you're up there? Yeah, unfortunately, since I'm in the control room, Mm -hmm. we can't really have guests, especially, uh, since COVID, we really right. Um, they're really strict about not having any guests. So um, I've shown them around kind of the area, but but really no, they they haven't been up there while I was playing. I mean, you're a fellow GSU Panther, and you got both your bachelor's and master's at Georgia State. What did you take away from that experience? Uh, I thought it was great. So I I got my uh, bachelor's in 2001, mm-hmm. or it could have been the end of 2000. I think it was maybe 2001. And um, it just really, I think during my undergrad years, they throw so much at you. Right. So um, I wanted to take a couple of years off, and that couple of years actually turned into 10 years. Wow. <laughs> but I, wa- I wanted to take a couple of years off to to really soak in what I had learned at school. Mm-hmm. So I ended up going back um, roughly 10 years later uh, to get my master's degree, and I think that was the best kind of choice for me because I, 
I really kind of put, I guess I put into use what I had learned during my undergrad years. Mm -hmm. And as a, as a gigging musician and um, as a teacher, I was able to apply everything that I had learned. And then when I came back, there was a little bit of a difference, you know, with every university, there's sure. different professors there and such. So it was, it was a nice time for me to learn from um, some different teachers. Mm. So yeah, it was definitely, for me, it was a good experience at Georgia State. How did you wind up with the Braves back in 2009? Well, I was actually, um, throughout all that time, even um, getting my master's degree out, I was still teaching. So I mm -hmm. teach organ, piano, and accordion. And one of my adult organ students just happened to know the sound guy who was kind of put in charge of looking for the organist. Mm. So I don't think they put out any like audition calls or anything like that. They didn't put out any uh, press releases or anything like that. It just They kind of were looking at, at different musicians like on the side or non-publicly. Mm. So I, um, you know, just within that lesson where my student had told me about it, he called up his friend, and then his friend called up who became my future boss, <laughs> and I got um, I got an interview like an hour after that lesson. Wow. So with, without even thinking about it or without even like planning anything, I said, sure, you know, that sounds, to me, it was just a gig, you know? Right. I'm so used to doing gigs. I'm like, sure, that's a fun gig. And um, so I didn't think anything about it until I had the um, interview maybe a couple weeks later. And um, what I did was I recorded myself playing what I thought were baseball-sounding organ tunes. Sure, you know, the, the standards. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I grew up in Chicago, so going to um, Cubs games, I was pretty familiar with kind of the sound of what the organ should sound like at those mm -hmm. games. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the, at the interview, um, he was asking me if if I could kind of a word play on, on some of the players. Mm -hmm. So. He, he was his idea was for me to um, play songs that would somehow connect with each of the players. Right. And he kind of I don't know if he quizzed me, but he was asking me like, so if this player came up to bat, could you think of something to play for him? And I really I think one example was Big Poppy. <laughs> uh, What's Big Poppy's real name? David Ortiz. Yeah. Right. So he was asking Big Poppy. I said, well, I could play Popeye for him. So, um, so th my boss was kind of testing me out to see if yeah. I could like do that wordplay, and then a, a couple m months went by, and they called me back for an audition at a couple spring training games. So back then, um, in two thousand nine, they had some spring training games at Turner Field before the season started. So my audition was, uh, and the spring training games, you know, usually don't have as many people as regular right. season games, but there was roughly ten thousand people in the stands. So. I tell people that my audition was in front of 10,000 people. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> wow. Just throw me in the fire. Yeah, no pressure. Yeah. So I think uh, I think he really wanted to see if I could handle taking direction and and following instructions while I was playing. So you know, back at Turner Field, I was in a whole separate room than the rest of the audio guys. So they had to tell me on headset, kind of, just directions on like how long to play or mm -hmm. if I have like five seconds to go or whatever. So they, they were kind of just testing me to see if I could handle that while, while still playing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, thinking uh, on your feet. Exactly. Yeah. And I guess I kind of passed that. Because they, uh, <laughs> Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> I sometimes, you know, I, I don't know if I've ever gotten an answer to this, but I sometimes think that I was the only one 
uh, who interviewed. That would be interesting <laughs> to find out. Yeah, I, I don't know if I want to find out. <laughs> right, right. I'm curious, Were was that his idea or were other teams doing that at the time, that sort of playing off of other players' names and things like that? Was that something new? Well, not you know, from, from what I gather, it's it's been done since the 70s. And there's uh, a, a lady named Nancy Faust who, who played for the Chicago White Sox for 41 years. Wow. I'm on my 13th year, and I think it's uh, a long time. Yeah. So organists have, have been doing that, but I don't, I don't think it was a recent phenomena, meaning mm. I think as, as more DJs got into um, the baseball game and more pre-recorded music got into baseball games, the role of the organist became a little bit less meaningful, maybe. Right. So, um, so he wanted to kind of bring that that meaningful aspect of heart, you know, back to being a part of the game. Yeah. And I, to this day, I don't know how many organists actually do play walk-ups for the opposing team. I know that um, some of them will play during foul balls. They they might make a kind of um, a name connection with a song during a foul ball or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I may still be the only one who actually plays full walk-up songs as as the opposing batters of going up to bat. So I'm curious on what you know why the other teams aren't doing that. Yeah, because it, it, it's it's I mean it's it makes it it just adds another layer to the game. You know, for the fans to sort of sit there and figure out what's going. You know, what why he's playing that song and that it's just in a whole other layer. Yeah, it's funny how like when I started doing that, people thought that it was all my idea. Like I. I came up with this whole novel thing. <laughs> take the credit, man. Take the credit. Yeah, I should, maybe I should take the credit. <laughs> but what happened is that um, that first year, I started a Twitter account. Mm-hmm. And it's that Braves Organist on Twitter. And people people always want to chime in with their favorite songs. Of course. And then I kind of had to let people know, well, I you know, I usually can't just play any random song. You know, I... My my goal here is to try to have a personalized song for each player. Mm-hmm. So throughout the years, um, I'm actually up to twenty thousand Twitter followers now. I get usually for each game, I get maybe thirty to sixty requests of people wanting me to play songs. Mm-hmm. And, and and you know throughout the years, they've really caught on at you know that they need to pick a song that pertains to the players so the twitter suggestions have been happening pretty much since the first year you were there yeah you know um i just kind of at first what i would do is i would just tell people what i was playing Mm -hmm. so i told people you know i'm gonna play this for this guy i'm gonna play this for this guy um but then uh, people were saying well why don't you play this for that person so you know even though i still kind of i still kind of have my initial thoughts on what I might play for players right. I do take quite a bit of uh, Twitter requests I, I would say out of the lineup probably a little bit more than half are are Twitter requests and then wow um, perhaps you know 40 percent of those are the ones that I maybe have played in the past or I have come up with myself so these days I don't actually have to do all the work of you know coming up with these songs well and what makes it I think what makes your you're playing so special is is how creative those choices can be and and you have to sort of sit there and figure it out as a fan i think my favorite one i heard recently that just made me laugh so hard was for matt duffy of the chicago cubs 
few weeks back and you played the Duff Beer song from The Simpsons, from which the is Simpsons, that's yeah. pretty obscure. I mean, you know, it was I think it was in maybe one episode. And uh, how cool is it that that fans are kind of challenging each other to figure out the connections that you're making between the players and the songs? It's kind of turned into a bit of a game while you're at the game. I mean, it's, it's what m- me and my friends do. And I, I'm sure everybody thinks they're the only ones doing it. But, uh, <laughs> but 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 we're all doing it. Well, you know that Simpsons one. I had no clue what Duff Beer was. So I, <laughs> I, you know, I've seen a couple episodes of The Simpsons, but I'm not a. I wouldn't consider myself a huge fan. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a great example of t- um, people on Twitter telling me or cluing me in on uh, what song to play. Yeah, it was it was really funny. So, I, I think it was the second time he was at bat too. So you had played something earlier, and I think I might have even said something to my friend at the time, like, "Oh, he should play the Duff Beer song." Not even, yeah. you know, not not thinking that you would even know what that was. Like, because that's just so random. But then there it was, and we right. were just looking at each other like, what is going on? <laughs> that well, was I think, great. I think I played the Simpsons theme first. Yeah, that was played, it. That and was then it. I played the Duff Beer yeah. second. Yeah. yeah. That was great. <laughs> I read that sometimes you, you'll learn a song right before you play it, because if somebody suggests something you're not familiar with, you'll just go on YouTube or whatever yeah believe it or not sometimes i'm playing a song for the first time in front of forty thousand people (laughs) (laughs) wow and you know it's it's a little bit nerve-wracking now i i do have um i do have an ipad right right next to the organ Mm -hmm. and usually unless there's a specific reason usually the organ is on throughout the game and it it's always live meaning i can't sit there and practice during the game right because because the guy who handles the volumes and such, he's got so much going on with a lot of the volumes of like the, the video board volume and mm-hmm. uh, our on-air on host and stuff like that. So I don't bother him with turning off the, the volume of the organ. So I, I tell him just to leave it on throughout the whole game. And on top, um, or right next to my organ, I have my iPad and I actually have an organ app on my iPad. <laughs> so what I'll do, usually just to figure out what key the song is, because I don't have what's called perfect pitch. So I can't tell what key a song is in unless I, I'm near a keyboard. Mm-hmm. But I have really good what we call relative pitch, meaning if, I, if I'm if i given the key of the song or the first note of the song, then I could I could um, figure out the song really, really quickly, um, a lot of times, you know, instantly, just if I have that song in my head. So um, what I'll often do is I'll go on YouTube on my phone and I'll listen to the song, and then with one hand on the iPad, I'll just kind of figure out the melody wow. a little bit, and that, and usually the, the chords will be a little bit easier to, easier to figure out once I have that melody down. Mm-hmm. I can figure out the chords to the song pretty easily as well. So, so yeah, it's it's not all the songs being played for the first time, <laughs> but yeah, sometimes I I do uh, kind of bite the bullet and try it out. Wow! <laughs> in front of the fans. Well, this is this must be where your jazz background comes in handy. All that that training and improv and that sort of thing must really be helpful for you. Yeah, definitely. So, in in college music classes, we have what's called um, ear training classes and oral skills, mm-hmm. and those are those are classes that specifically develop your ear. And there's also um, sight singing that we have to do. So, what they'll do is they'll give you a pitch, and they they want you to be able to sing. I don't know, like five to ten measures of something, given the first pitch, mm. but without you at an instrument. So, just in your head, you have to figure out how far these pitches are. And those those classes at Georgia State and um, 
even before Georgia State, I, I had transferred to Georgia State from the University of Arizona, and I had some really good air training teachers over there as well. And I've, I've still used the same concepts that I've learned in my college air training classes to learn songs quickly. I use what's called, um, a lot of times I use solfege, which is do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. And, mm-hmm. and I, I think of those pitches in my head before I actually play it on, on the wow. keyboard. And then you were saying my jazz background, you know, much of playing jazz is improvising. Right. You want to be able to play something that you hear in your head. So, you you know, I'm constantly kind of developing my ear to be able to do that. So, yeah, it's definitely um, an added plus for, for someone like me. You're listening to Matthew Kaminsky on Culture Clash. Have you ever gotten an angry message from a player because of something that you played for them? Not from a player. You know, um, some of the players have said something, or a couple of the players have said something, like, to the press afterwards. Mm-hmm. So the, the kind of the, one of the more famous ones is um, a guy named Lucas Duda. I used to play for the Mets. He played actually for the Braves for a little bit. Um, but I would play Camptown Races. Sure. So Camptown Races, sing this song, Duda. And what happened is that I think it was right after a rain delay, I got the whole crowd singing the do that part. <laughs> and I think it, it took, a, a, you know, a couple, you know, liquid courage for a lot of the fans to sing along with me. <laughs> and after that game, there's a specific game where, where the crowd was really, uh, you know, pouring it on. And I would, I would egg them on by, by playing the, <laughs> the, the Camptown Racist part. And after that game, he, he said, you know, he's kind of hurted his whole life and he doesn't, uh, care for it too much. I mean, he wasn't really. I don't think he was really complaining. He was yeah. just saying uh, kind of what he observed there. Um, and then you know, sometimes you know, people the players will mention that they were laughing at it. Or yeah, I was going to ask you if you uh, had anybody like tell you, "Oh, genius! That's the best." You know, <laughs> they were really happy about it. <laughs> well, there there used to be a guy named Jason Worth who played for um, the Phillies and the uh, Nationals, mm-hmm. and he um, he had kind of longish hair and he had a beard. So he looked like Jesus. <laughs> so I would play, um, what child is this? And Jesus is just <laughs> all right. And apparently, like, he, he told uh, Brian McCann, who was our catcher back then, mm-hmm. he told him right when he walked up to play, he goes, I can't believe they're playing that song for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And I, I, heard this from, uh, I heard this from one of the Braves reporters. So usually uh, they'll come back to me if, if, a, if a player has uh, complained or said something. And you you mentioned earlier the the COVID and how that sort of affected things uh, at the stadium. How, how did you spend last season during the lockdown? Well, we played thirty home games, mm-hmm. and and there were you know there were no one there was no one in the stands uh, except for the cardboard cutouts. Right. So pretty much, I I had to think about it in terms of me playing for the broadcast. Mm. So they wanted they wanted people at home watching the Braves games to feel like they were at the game. They, they wanted to be as normal as possible. So it was kind of weird playing like these, what I call hand clapping songs, meaning right. uh, a lot of what I do is trying to get the crowd to clap along with. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of weird playing that with no one in the stands, <laughs> but, I, but people were on, on Twitter, they would tell me that they actually clapped at home with me. Yeah, we did, we did. <laughs> yeah, so, so if, I, if I played, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. <laughs> that people would tell me, you know, that they're actually clapping at home with me. So 
that made me feel better. You know, that yeah. I'm not just playing to an empty crowd. I, I realize that people are actually hearing me, mm-hmm. you know, at home or even in the battery area. So right outside the right the stadium is this whole kind of shopping and eatery place called the battery. And there were people out there as well who were either clapping along or um, they still had me play Take Me Out to the Ball Game. And even <laughs> even if no one at home heard that, mm-hmm. the people in the battery were hearing it. Yeah. And people, um, there's also um, apartments up there, so people would uh, hear me from their apartments. So, <laughs> so yeah, it was definitely strange, but I kind of had to tailor my way, or tailor the way that I would play more for the broadcast. Mm-hmm. And um, what I would do, too, is I would set up, I, I kind of had my basic baseball organ sound set up on my organ but each night what I would do is I'd kind of just tweak it a little bit to see if it would cut through on the broadcast a little ah. bit better so there's certain sounds that yeah. are great for a, a crowd of people like in the stadium it sounds wonderful but they may not be picking up through the microphones on the TV right right so um, it took me a couple games to like really figure out what's going to cut through the most mm. Because, you know, selfishly, I want people to hear me. <laughs> well, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, it's, it's hard to get heard all the time because, you know, the, the announcers are talking about the game and everything. Right. But, but there's plenty of moments where people would actually, you know, be be chiming in because they, they would hear the walk-up song that I would play. Mm-hmm. So the walk-up songs still were there. And, you know, I, got, I still got my feedback on Twitter. Uh, just, <laughs> usually it was more sporadic because of whether they heard it or not on the, right. the broadcast. I know that definitely made a difference because when we would watch the games on TV, that was the thing I was missing. I mean, honestly, was were those walk-up songs, you know, that it really <laughs> is a part of the game for me now, you know? Uh, that's great. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I enjoy that people, you know, it, give, it gives them more of an entertainment value <laughs> Yes. what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, and like I said, it's like a game within a game because you're 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 listening out for those songs, trying to figure out how they relate, and you know it just adds an extra bonus to the game. Yeah, and sometimes you know, um, you know, I realize the, the the really easy connections work really well because most people will get it. Right. So if, if there's a guy named uh, there used to be a player named James McDonald, so I would play Old McDonald had a farm. Right. So that's an easy uh, you know correlation there, but sometimes. I like to get pretty, you know, you were mentioning The Simpsons before, mm-hmm. but I like to get, a lot of times I, I like to get deep where perhaps it's not the Twitter the Twitter fan base who gets it. So I realize that a lot, of, a lot of times fans who are maybe 60 and over are not on Twitter. <laughs> and if I play a jazz song, for example, I used to play a song called Take Five, which is a pretty well-known Dave Brubeck song. Mm-hmm. But, but what a lot of people don't, don't know is a guy named Ian Desmond wrote the song. Oh, wow. There, or actually, I'm sorry, Paul Desmond wrote, wrote the song, but there was a player named Ian Desmond and I would play that song for him. <laughs> and every once in a while, um, like an older fan would come up to me and say that, you know, he really, like they really appreciated me playing that song. However, I usually wasn't getting feedback on Twitter about that. that yeah, I wonder if, song. I wonder if Ian Desmond realized what it was. The Probably player. Not. Yeah. <laughs> right. So sometimes I realize that not my whole fan base will be on Twitter. Right. And, and you know, I, I'm trying to, um, you know, c- cater to all 
you know, <laughs> all ages and groups, you know, with, with my connection songs. In addition to the Braves, of course, you also play organ for the Atlanta Gladiators. You play for UGA's baseball team, among, among others. And I, I, do you ever have a day off? <laughs> yeah, well, um, you know, before the pandemic, I was doing every season I would do a handful of UGA games, uh, mm-hmm. baseball games, um, as well as um, Auburn. Mm-hmm. So I would go to Auburn on several weekends. And then in 2019, I was playing for the Gladiators as well. But on top of that, I was also um, doing a lot of a lot of my other gigs. So mm-hmm. being a jazz musician, I would have some jazz gigs or I play with a salsa band um, mm-hmm. called Orchestra Makuba. So it's, it's funny how a lot of people don't realize that you know, baseball organ isn't the only thing that I do. <laughs> right. Well, that was um, my next question, actually, was <laughs> I know you play with several different bands, that, everything from salsa to swing to polka. Is jazz still your, your favorite style? Is that your sort of fallback, or what, what's your favorite? Yeah, I would say um, being a jazz organist is my kind of my, my first love. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I usually, when I put out recordings, it's usually in that genre, or I spend maybe spent the most money on that genre because it's kind of where my heart is but but i've done like you're saying i've done a lot of different things with polka and you know even sat in with rock bands there's a band called mo that i sat in oh, with yeah. a couple of years ago and and i i've played with blues bands before and so i i like i i think me being a jazz musician affords me the ability to be able to play in a whole you know variety of different um settings mm. And um, it's really helped me play the, the salsa band that I play with. And, you know, that improvisation, like I said before, is really key in a lot of different styles of music. And um, I could kind of bring that, um, you know, to the table to wh- wherever I'm playing. And I also, I have the ability at my house to record as well. Yeah, you've released so, a, a few CDs. As on, on, yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. so I, I've got... I've had several or a couple um, baseball organ CDs, but I also have um, several jazz CDs as well. Mm. And then um, I, I've also recorded on other people's projects. Actually, a couple years ago, I, I played on um, John Driscoll Hopkins' uh, Christmas album. Oh wow! Or one of one of his Christmas uh, Christmas albums. Mm-hmm. He's got a couple of them. And I, I work with Puddles Pity Party. Oh yes, Puddles is. Oh yeah. Uh, we work quite a bit together. Um, so it's. You know, it surprises people when they find out those things. They just kind of, a lot of people just know me as the Braves organist. Right. But I enjoy kind of, you know, all the aspects of what I do for a living. Well, and not only that, in your extremely limited, I'm assuming, spare time, you also teach organ and piano and accordion. So you're also a teacher on top of everything else. Yeah, so that's that's remained a constant since, um, so pretty much since I graduated Georgia State in 2001. Mm-hmm. I've, been, I've been teaching you know, pretty full time. Um, and throughout the pandemic, I, actually, I've, I've switched over to um, digital learning. So mm-hmm. I have students who take lessons over Zoom and FaceTime, and it's, it's worked actually pretty well. You know, usually my older students do a lot better than, say, the six and seven-year-olds <laughs> um, over Zoom. But, right. you know, we've all had to kind of adapt over here. But yeah, usually at any given time, I usually have at least a dozen students, depending, I guess, depending on how busy I am with my performing career. Right. So it's, it's all kind of a balance. So when I'm not performing as much, then I, I usually kind of bringing up my teaching load. 
so during during the brave season it's it's a little bit of a juggle to juggle my students and then i imagine at the same time yeah so before i let you go tell everyone how they can stay in touch with you on social media and also how to get in touch if they are interested in lessons sure (laughs) i think the easiest way for braves fans so if you're ever at a game or um even if you're just watching at home you could always tweet me at braves organist Mm -hmm. i also have a facebook at braves organist page but Usually when I'm at the game, I, I usually have Twitter up on my uh, my iPad, so mm-hmm. you know it, it usually shows me when when a new uh, uh, tweet pops up there. Um, you can always always go to MatthewKaminsky.com. That's M A T T H E W K A M I N S K I dot com, and then you can always uh, you know from there you could email me and uh, we could work out some lessons. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for being on the show. Continued success. We love you, and uh, you're keeping us uh, entertained for sure. We appreciate you. Yeah, thank you so much, and uh, go Braves. You've been listening to Braves organist Matthew Kaminsky on Culture Clash on CL Radio. Get in touch with us on Twitter at CL underscore Atlanta or email me at jill at creativeloafing.com. You've been listening to Culture Clash on CL Radio.